0: Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors and improvers in supply chain
1: management today. Brought to you by AI Group.
0: Hello, I'm James Scotland and this is Supply Circles, a podcast seeking the latest ideas, concepts, tactics and strategies for addressing the current three big challenges of supply chain management in Australia, digitalisation, decarbonisation and ongoing disruptions. I'm particularly keen to learn of the current thinking and successes of the people doing it, of the leading supply chain doers and managers and thinkers and leaders, the ones who are designing modern supply chains as we move from inefficient linear thinking to the sustainable circular economy system design, as we move from supply chains to supply circles. My guest today is a world-leading thinker and teacher in supply chain design, a man I consider to be a Jedi Knight when it comes to mentoring others in the complex craft and art of building efficient business operations and modern supply chains. I'm keen to hear from him on the state of supply chain management globally and to find out why it's so hard to design and manage effective and sustainable supply chains today. My guest is Dr. Stephen A. Meig. Professor of Operations and Supply Chain Management at the College of Business at Michigan State University. Let me introduce him briefly, although regretfully, we don't have time to do his CV justice in any way. This is just a small intro. Stephen completed his undergraduate and PhD in one of my all-time favourite places, Ontario, Canada. Imagine doing your undergrad there. Before moving across the lake to Michigan, where he's been since 1980. He is the author or co-author of over 23 books and hundreds of published articles. He's been a leader in the supply chain field for decades and is still searching for new thoughts and approaches. As far back as 1990, he wrote, Supply Chain Management, Redefining the Transformation Process. And then 18 years later, in 2017, he authored Developing Sustainable Supply Chains to Drive Value, a long career looking at the key issues that we need to understand. Stephen's the guy that organisers of leading supply chain conferences have at the top of their list every year. I've heard him speak several times and I've even been honoured to be on the virtual stage with him during those endless COVID era, sorry, during the COVID era of endless webinars. Um, So I'm really honoured and and it's fantastic to to finally get Stephen on the show and have a chance to chat with him. Welcome, Stephen. It's, it's midwinter there. It's midwinter here, but it's northern summer there. How's the summer treating you?
1: Well, in Michigan, there's a saying which is, if you don't like the weather, wait ten minutes; it'll change. <laughs> and that very much describes what's happening. Uh, last week, I was on my motorcycle, and it was about twenty. It was in the twenties, and now we're in the high thirties. So it's it's highly variable. We, and, uh, uh, global warming, I think it's called.
0: <laughs> um, yep. We, uh, we have a, a city in Australia, Melbourne, where they say four seasons in one day is their, is their title. I'm probably getting into trouble for telling you that, but you know that cause you've got a long history with Australia. Uh, how did, yeah. how did,
1: how did that come about? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, way back in 2010, 2011, I was recruited by the University of New South Wales to take a position when they were interested in supply chain. I was I was given a very good offer and was ready to take it, but my wife asked because she had a very close relationship with her mother, who was still living at the time, if we could, if we could, basically not to come, which was always one of my big regrets because I enjoyed Sydney. I enjoyed the environment, and I enjoyed the country. Then in 2015, when I was on the APEX, now ASCM Board of Directors, I was invited to speak at one of the supply chain conferences, which was in Melbourne, and that was an interesting situation, and I then spoke, and then in 2017, I was recruited to do a joint appointment with the University of Newcastle to fulfill their global chair in supply chain man- innovation at the university. Uh It was an interesting opportunity, but unfortunately, I had pulls from two directions, University of Newcastle and Michigan State, and basically there were some opportunities at Michigan State which couldn't be re- turned down, and right now you're going to find out later on that uh, they they have been dr- driving my research. I've always regretted that because I found that Australia... Is the perfect place a for universities to work with industry and mm-hmm. for supply chain? Yeah, but unfortunately, what was taught as supply chain is not supply chain.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, let's let's get back to why it's so hard to build effective supply chains uh, in a minute. But to get us started, what you have just said is what what I'm interested in because when I talk about supply chain, people often think about. Uh, logistics they start talking about freight costs they start talking about uh, in- an inability of getting the freight to us um, in fact last night I was reading an article on the, on the in The Economist whose the article was titled Supply Chain Challenges or something and it was all about freight now I know that we created this a little bit because we, we sort of managed just in times for a long time but what do you think about when when we say the term supply chain management
1: okay that's a good question uh- When I think about supply chain management, I'm going to share with you a statement that was made by one of the great American jurists who sat on the American Supreme Court, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., who once said that he could not define pornography, but he knew it when he saw it. Supply chain is very much like that. Um, What you're talking about is the split personality of supply chain. For many people, supply chain is highly tactical. It is logistics, it's purchasing, it's manufacturing, it is freight. When we talk about supply chain, especially at the companies and at universities, which are really working on this on a regular basis, we have a very different image of supply chain. It's an integrated approach, which links the flows of goods, services, and information from the source through the transformation process to the final customer, the consumer. And now it deals with the return of these same products. So when the consumer is done with them, we have a take back or reverse logistics function in the yeah. past.
0: It's a brand new thing with reverse logistics, isn't it? So keep going. it is,
1: but it's 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 more important than you think. And I'll get to it in a minute because I want you. Uh, that's something I didn't think about. But reverse logistics companies are finding that it's a gold gold field. And I'm going to talk about that in a sec. But what's interesting is that in the past, supply chain was viewed as strategically decoupled, cost-driven. Now we see it as a strategic activity. It determines how the firm competes. You don't compete on logistics. You compete on the ability to design and deliver products customers want. It doesn't compete on cost. It competes on the recognizing who your key customers are. And so we're finding out that increasingly companies like Apple, like Uh, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, others are starting to look at supply chains as a strategic asset. It is something that we use to compete, to differentiate ourselves, and to survive and thrive. Now, before I go any further, let me hit on reverse logistics.
0: Yeah, I was going to say uh, on the weekend, it's a real moment of truth, isn't it? Because uh, on the weekend, I I took a high-quality bluetooth speaker back to where i purchased it and said i've got a warranty it's broken can I have a new one please and they gave me this complicated process i have to go through in order to get <laughs> to get a new one and my point was it's a warranty just turn it up just just give me a new one and they said no you have to ring these people you have to film this form. you have to do that i'll send you a credit blah 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 and i thought what are you doing tell me about reverse logistics
1: okay there's two points you've just hit on number one i'm going to hit on the reverse in a second one of the concepts that we're rediscovering in supply chain management is known as the moment of truth. And the moment of truth was developed by a guy by the name of Jan Carlson in the 1980s. He, at that time, he was the CEO of SAS airlines. And what he said was really insightful. He said, people make decisions about companies, not based on their long-term experiences, but at their last interaction. And I'm going to ask you to think about it. That interaction you had with the company, with the retail store, Were you favorably or unfavorably impressed?
0: Oh, incredibly unimpressed. You know, it's like, no, you're supposed to make this easy for me because it's broken. And there was a promise. I worked in insurance for a while. I used to, as, as head of sales and strategy, and I said to all my people there that insurance is a promise. They pay us now on the promise that we'll do something when they need us.
1: And now you've got the point. When people have a stock out, they have to, you know, it's not enough to say you've got a stock out, sorry. You have to make people whole, you have to manage these moments of truth. So what you've got there is the fact that we've now started to see something important in today's environment, every stock out, every product failure, every missed shipment is a supply chain issue. And it's a moment of truth. So
0: That's fantastic that you've hit on that, because that's the point of this podcast to say supply chain is not about logistics, it is about all these things. End yes. to end. End end.
1: And that's the point. And then let's get into reverse. Uh, two reasons. Number one, take back. Uh, the reason it's becoming important is because in most cases, we want to prevent these products from getting into landfill. Uh, computers, for example, you put them into the landfill and they're just uh, environmental disasters. But here's the funny thing is companies are discovering that if you broaden the reverse, reverse logistics, you start to really understand what the customer wants and doesn't want. Let me give you an example. You
0: you, you focus it all on the customer. Exactly. Exactly. When they get the the product delivered to them, which often these days it is, it's delivered. It's not face-to-face. They open and say, no, it's the wrong size. Take it back. And they need it to to happen easily.
1: Exactly. Here's the point to to understand. When we talk about supply chain at Michigan State, we talk about customer-driven supply chains. And the reason being is because- I like that. I like that, Because it's if the customer – here's the point. Sam Walton, who founded Walmart, had a great saying. He said, customers vote with their dollars and their feet. And if you don't provide something which the customer wants, they will vote with their dollars and feet. And often those are supply chain issues. Hmm. And what you have to do as a supply chain manager, your responsibility is to understand your who your key customer is. And well, what you have to do is, is keep them. And that's a different strategy that that's, it is, you're not delivering an order, you're focusing on value.
0: Let's, let's talk about why it's so hard then to develop good supply chains. Um, you know, my management career, which is a while ago in at line management, it was all about sales and operational planning. So you you'd, you'd get sales forecasts. Often I was in sales and we just make it up basically have a good stab in the dark have a look at some spreadsheets, have a look at last year, say, yep. And then uh, operational planning would figure out how much stock they needed to get in, how much raw material, they'd they'd schedule the machines and they'd punch it out, and it was very sloppy. Supply chain these days is much smarter than that. There's a whole bunch of analytics, but it's not working. You know, over COVID, we ran into all sorts of problems.
1: Tell me about what went wrong. Okay, well, first of all, you're really asking two questions. What makes supply chain so difficult and what went ro- wrong beginning in two thousand and twenty? So, uh, you know, which one do you want to take? Because both. Let's go the first can... one.
0: Let's go to the first one then. Okay. What the, makes it so the, difficult?
1: Okay. The first re- the first thing that makes it so difficult is, I think our mindsets. Most firms think of supply chains as one up, one down management. What does that mean? I manage my immediate customer. I manage my immediate supplier. The assumption there is that my supplier therefore will manage their suppliers. And when you do that, let me be very blunt, that's stupidity.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Because what happens is you get this distortion. And the distortion, therefore, results in situations that you didn't expect. In the late 1990s, uh, Chrysler was going through one of their regular financial crises, and they found out that they were in danger of losing the ability to sell Jeeps, which were the most profitable, the most desirable of products, because of cat litter. And the reason that they will happen was here's the situation. They, they looked at the Jeep and they said, this is our cash go. What's the most critical component in the Jeep? Well, it's the engine. What's the most critical component of the engine, the engine block. What's the most critical component in the engine block? It's the casting. Now you're at the third tier. What's the most critical component? It's the, the, the metal and the clay that's used to form the mold. They got down to the person who was located in Michigan and they found out that this person who was providing a specific type of clay that was necessary to make this engine casting was getting ready to leave the supply chain. Why? Huh. He, was, he was being pressed by his customer, the third-tier supplier, to reduce cost. And he had enough. Now, think of it. If that had happened, Chrysler would have had to be in the business of buying up all this cat litter because that's what you use clay for. In order to make their jeeps, think of it, and that's because so that's a
0: great story. That's that's one of those stories of a lifetime of supply chain. That's a fantastic story. I've not I've not heard that before. But we we've we got the same story now with silicon chips in cars. You know, they oh, they didn't yeah, manage their that, supply chain of, of chips.
1: Okay, but now you you're getting into something which is important. Most people, when they think of analytics, they think of data management. So I talk to people all the time. So I got a telephone call from the FBI. No, they weren't after arresting me. What they did is congratulations on that. Thank thank you. (laughs) Anyway, but what happened was they wanted to say, Is blockchain good enough to get us security? And I said, Yeah, but it's not enough. And one of the things they forgot is supply chains are not simply about technology. Technology is a means to an end, it's about relationships, it's about the management. Here's something to think about. One of the things we found is in today's supply chain, if you want to get to your lower tiers, you know, you talk about supply circles. And in supply circles, a central element of that is visibility. Mm-hmm. Visibility is not simply seeing, it's influencing.
0: Right.
1: When I That's give a- you...
0: That's the point of that before, about if you're only managing one level down, it's it's stupid, but it's also blind faith. You have absolutely blind faith that whatever happens after that is going to be okay for my business.
1: And it's not. And here's mm, the point. Mm. What Toyota did, and I'm going to share with you because you, you just hit on something critical. In today's supply chain, if you want to get to your second tier and influence their actions, you've got to have good relationships with your first tier. Yeah. If your first tier doesn't trust you, if your first tier thinks of you cynically, then when you ask them for access to their suppliers, the most commonly heard statement they'll give you is, "That's a strategic advantage. It's not relevant. We do not wish to share that with you." To get to the second tier, you have to, you have to have good relationships with your first, which means getting to the second and the second to the third, to the fourth. You brought up the issue of chips. One, when Recently, one of my research initiatives, which is being linked to cybersecurity across the supply chain, has focused on buyer supply relations. Mm-hmm. And the reason being it's when you look at things like technology, it's a capability, but the willingness of the partner to deploy the take a capability is a function of the relationship. How many times have you been in a situation where somebody has asked you to do something that you could do, but you really didn't like the person that was asking it. And what do you say to that person? Yeah, you get a no, don't you? <laughs> exactly. Now what happened? Let me finish the story. And then I apologize. Remember I'm a professor. I talk too much. That's okay anyway what happened was toyota got to the fourth tier and then got to the fourth tier got to taiwan silicon manufacturing corporation and what they did is they told them two things number one if you cancel your order you go to the back of the line and secondly we've got all this work in front of you that's more attractive because this is for the leading edge technology chips which is higher profit so toyota at that point said oh and oh one more thing if we're building it it You know, once we set up for your run, we can build a lot, to which Toyota said, do it. Okay. Toyota was able to get to that fourth tier.
0: So if I I understand you clearly, you're saying that the difficulty of supply chains is because it is more than just one up, one down, and it's about strong relationships, not transactions. And yet procurement, which is often a subset of the supply chain, Department or even separate is, procurement is a transactional.
1: Um, no, no, it's not. And okay, let me give you the. I was talking with uh, Jim the area. The name may not be familiar to you, but when I started looking, I did a project for one of the branches of the military, uh, in which I proved to them that you know academia could move quickly because the project was initiated September seventeenth, two thousand nineteen, and the report was delivered October twenty eighth, two thousand nineteen. And we did over seven, we did 1,300 survey responses. Um, one of the things that I talked with him about, I said, you know, what goes into success? And he said there's four elements, three elements. And the three elements are you've got to have good relations, you've got to be a good customer, supplier development, and prioritization. When we treat buying, purchasing as a transaction, we treat everyone the same consequently when suppliers come to us with suggestions we tell them is this relevant to the contract as written and the answer often is no but it's an opportunity to which you tell them very politely well guess what i don't care
0: that's not (laughs) what i asked for yeah yeah
1: exactly and then you say that enough times to the supplier and guess what they say what they do but here's the point in today's environment, you're building a relationship. You're, so you have to identify who your key suppliers are. We're now doing the, a study at, in the States looking at what defines a key supplier. And th- are you ready for this? Most firms view a key supplier as the person from whom you buy the most. We, When we do the cases, we find that sometimes a key supplier will be someone who is almost impossible to replace.
0: Someone who has cat uh, cat litter.
1: Yes, cat I'll give you a prime example. I'm talking with one. Uh, I'm talking with a prime in the DoD Department of Defense business, and this is a multi-billion-dollar company. It's a Fortune 50 company, so we're not talking about a small company. No. They're buying small quantities of high-grade, precision, surgical stainless steel mm-hmm. to the c- supplier they're a small customer, but to them, to this company, that supplier is critical because if they were to leave, reclassification, requalification of a supplier would take about a year to two years. Mm -hmm. And there's only a handful of suppliers in the States. So what they're now worried about is the, Military and the government in the States is following its line of whatever, you know. Mark Twain once said about people in Congress, he said, imagine that you're a loudmouth, asinite, ignorant person, and imagine that you're a member of Senate from the Senate, but then I would be repeating myself. Uh, Anyway, what they're doing (laughs) is they're, you know, he's worried that they've imposed this thing called CMMC, which stands for Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. you got to have and, a good acronym. Yeah, of course. This, we've gone beyond three letters. We're now into four letters. I'm waiting yeah, for the fifth yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, my gosh. Anyway, so what happened is they're saying, if we put this in them and they look at this, and they'll one of the things that buyers don't recognize is in today's environment, good suppliers fire bad customers. And if you're a transactional manager... What makes you a good customer?
0: I was going to ask you about this because, uh, uh, I, I read some work from yours recently about how, you know, uh, good, bu- uh, bad buyers gets get fired. I think it was, it was, yes. titled. It was a great line. Uh, and often we think it's all on the, on the, on the supplier, but if you take it past the transaction into relationship, well, then the buyer's got responsibility of being good.
1: Yeah. I'll give you an example because you've hit some points. Um, I'm talking with – we're doing a a seminar for a company um, here at Michigan State. One of the things I kind of found interesting between between American universities and Australian universities is American universities, our business schools, are often doing seminars with firms. You didn't see that often in Australia, Mm -hmm. which surprised me. Because to be honest, it was one of those situations when I work with a person who's a high level executive, those people are very interesting in telling you whether or not you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just because it got published, they'll look at you and say, still a dumb idea, but they'll say it nicely. <laughs> anyway, we're working with it. And one of the examples we got was the Navy is placing orders with this customer, and they're coming back to them with changes, with requirements, with updates. The supplier gets exhausted. Yeah. And exhaustion occurs when you're forced to process all of these changes. And the supplier got into a situation where the Navy was preventing them from doing their job, their planning, their execution. And things like burnout, exhaustion, cynicism. Uh, issues like inefficacy, which is when you interrupt someone from getting their job done, those are things; those are attributes we're finding that suppliers encounter.
0: So this is an so interesting can... idea. You're saying that uh, that the buyers have to add value, uh, the same as some of suppliers have to add value. It really is a relationship.
1: It is, and here's the point. That's why you have to prioritize. If you can get a supplier. And all you have to do is pick up a catalog or go to the internet and search and say, oh, there's a, another person," and he can qualify that person relatively quickly. For example, for buying reams of paper, it's okay. But if you're buying some of these things, like you know, as you do in the Department of Defense, you're you're going to be prepping to do the replacement for the Collins class submarine, which means you're going to be getting working on developing suppliers who have unique capabilities. You have to understand that. There's a relationship here. And if you're you're not beneficial, just because you pay your bills on time doesn't mean you're a good customer. You can be a pain in the butt and be considered a bad customer. And in today's environment, and here's something to think about. We're starting to see a trend occurring now, which is countries are starting to consider reshoring, which is bringing production, bringing supply back. Uh, we're starting to find that buying from China and India, uh, buying from places like Vietnam may not be the best for some reasons involving issues like sustainability. And so when we start to do that, that means we are now queuing for attention from the good suppliers. And just because you have a lot of Australian dollars to spend doesn't mean that supplier is going to say, come down, come on down. It's the relationship. It's the notion that you have to manage it in such a way. We, when we do a study, it's a very, practical. it's a very
0: basic demand and supply, isn't it? If yeah. if you get to a situation where the supplier can choose who they're going to deal with, the buyer needs to be good. Now we saw that during COVID. I, I want to get onto this about what went wrong sure. in COVID because. Um, you know, up until COVID, we were all flying in supply chain. We we're doing lots of good things wrong. We had just-in-time down. We had our inventory yep. figured out. We had data analytics coming out of our wherever. Um, and and we were all focused on adding value, but really we were focused on cutting out uh, inefficiencies. And we seem yep. to have missed the risk aspect of supply chain. But don't let me – I don't want to tailor your answer. Tell me what went wrong.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, for example, the, uh, you're right. Lean played a major role in the States. We we call it Lean. We used to call it J-I-T or JIT. And it gave rise to an infamous event, which is the COVID-19 pandemic was when the JIT hit the fan. <laughs> oh, it's an academic joke, yes. That's an academic joke, right. It takes, or no, it's a pregnant joke. It takes nine months to, for you to get it. Uh, anyway. uh, it's like a dead joke, but better, yeah. Yes, thank you. Anyway, uh, so the first thing, let's sit back. Prior to the COVID, first of all, let me make a statement. Prior to COVID, we started to see cracks in the current model. I was doing a presentation for some executives at Michigan State, uh, high-level executives, and I talked to them about the emerging developments, and we talked about sustainability, responsiveness, innovation. We talked about security and how those are becoming new demands.
0: None of those so, are really based around efficiency though are they that's interesting no, no they're not but, yeah, you
1: know, but here's yeah. the point what what you're doing is it's recognizing that not everyone wants to pay the lowest price if you can get what meets your needs better than anyone else's anything else you're willing to pay a premium
0: mm-hmm.
1: and one of the things i saw early we did i did a consulting project for a company where one they were they were a, a contract manufacturer And what they found was that they had gone from competing on price to competing on responsiveness. What they were doing was making a, they had been, the the parent company, the buyer had decided to focus on drug formulation. They were going to create the drugs and they were going to have this company become the factory. And this was a seasonal product. This was a product that was demanded when flu seasons hit. And so they were very specific. They said, we don't care about the cost. We're willing to pay a premium, but we don't want to forecast. What we want to do is to give you an order and know that you will deliver that order reliably, predictably. And therefore, that's responsiveness. That's resilience. That's." I,
0: I, uh, I learned this uh, back in the 90s when I was running Express Freight. Uh, and we did a major nationwide uh, project to deliver before 8am. Most businesses open at 8am. So we're delivering the plastic bags, you know, three kilo satchels by 8am. Unfortunately, sometimes wind across the Nullarbor or somewhere like that would cause planes to be delayed. So we'd deliver it before 8am most of the time, but sometimes we were 10 o'clock, 10.30. And when we went back to our client base and said, aren't we fantastic? They said, no. You're not. I'd rather have it at nine thirty every day rather than eight am sometimes and ten thirty other days. It's a it's a matter of understanding not only your clients but also understanding what value really is, and this brings in this point about supply chain being about the value as the value question, not just about the efficiency question. And
1: that's a point, and that's the critical issue. Uh, v- you know every we okay. Let me finish off about what went wrong, and then I'll also pick up on the value point because the value point was a major aha moment in my life. It was what I refer to as a B- BFO, a blinding flash of the obvious, where you know. So it's, it's the one that you know, the one that where you hit yourself in the head with your with. The That's palm
0: when Simpson says, Duh. <laughs> "Duh!"
1: It's a dumb <laughs> moment. Anyway. What happened was, in what we had is we had 20 years of basically we refined everything, we used lean, we reduced buffers, we cut out suppliers, we cut out lead time, we cut out inventory, we had sole source suppliers, we depend upon everything working well. Oh, by the way, we knew occasionally problems occurred, so we developed this concept called enterprise risk management. When COVID hit, everything fell apart. Yeah and what we found out is that lean systems are not responsive systems mm. they're responsive within tight bounds but they're not responsive the other thing we we've, we've learned is that don't confuse cost with value when when i start to think about value i start to see the fact that people think of supply chain as being in isolation since 2012 i've been talking about the business model. And I say the business model consists of three elements. It's who is your key customer? Mm -hmm. What's your value proposition? What are your capabilities? And the key customer is who do you focus on? And what did they expect? And the thing I learned from working with some very good companies is they never assume they know their customer. Was one manager put to me, he said, we expect to be surprised by our customer. Mm-hmm. because as soon as you assume you know the customer, you're de- you're dead. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is the value. Well, we saw that during
0: COVID. COVID, it kept changing all the time, pivoting.
1: Exactly. And you have to be close to the customer. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, and that closeness also is one reason why I talked about in one article I wrote which was written in the frustration with I was on a professional board and I was trying to tell them that the efficiency perspective was wrong and they told me I was an academic and I didn't know anything. And they said, I know that. That's why I'm an academic. But, you know, there's this issue here that when I saw this in action, I saw companies changing straight lines to triangles. What does that mean? In most companies, the, customer, the consumer talks to marketing, marketing talks to us. What's the problem with that? Well, number one, it takes time. Number two, it's distorted because marketing never tells you exactly what the consumer, the customer said. They tell you what they think the customer said, which means Mm -hmm. it's biased. Mm -hmm. In companies which were successful, we saw the customer talking to marketing and talking directly to supply chain. Ah, So that what supply chain was doing is they were seeing what the customer needed. What were their challenges? What were the issues? What the... there's, a, there's an interesting an
0: interesting example in Australia, I don't know about America during COVID, where um, um, for no reason at all, toilet paper kept disappearing off the shelves. People were buying and people were saying, oh, it's a supply chain issue. And I say, well, it is, but not what you're thinking. It's not a supply issue because there's never, ever any shortage of, of toilet paper. The problem was, is that the customer and the, the process didn't trust each other. You know, they, and so it was a supply chain issue, but not what everyone thinks.
1: And that's what you got. So what you got happening is you had hoarding behaviors. And when people, when you couldn't establish the credibility of the supply chain, people basically, they responded the same way. I was in Poland years before, before the Iron Curtain fell. And what I found in Poland was that you had what was a, a survival economy, which is a scarcity economy, which is people hoarded everything because you never knew if you needed it. Supply chains, when they're predictable, get around that. And when they're mm-hmm. not predictable, people hoard. But so what happened was, and the thing that we learned from the pandemic was that supply chains could be optimal, but they could also be fragile.
0: Mm. I, we we did, anyway, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But the other thing we found, too, is that people were so focused on risk, but they didn't understand uncertainty. And uncertainty is a different creature from risk. Hmm, Okay. Okay, risk, when I, a guy by the name of Frank McKnight in 1921 published a book on risk and uncertainty. And what he says in that book is risk can, consists, there are two distributions we worry about. There's impact and, uh, and outcome. You know, like mm-hmm. what's the probability of it taking place? And when it comes, what's it going to do to us? And he said, if you, if you know those distributions, you've got risk. Mm-hmm. And we can use expected value. But he said uncertainty is when either or both of those distributions are unknown and increasingly we're encountering uncertainty Ah, where we don't know. Now here's the point. Our tools are based around risk Mm -hmm. in universities. I will argue, which is many of your managers are going through. You're not being exposed to the tools needed to deal with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. For example, What's the best tool that you need to deal with uncertainty? It's scenario planning. Scenario so planning.
0: We, people what? don't know scenario planning.
1: No, it, we do know it. Shell, for example, sure. Shell is one of the most marvelous companies. It, it's 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 an expert in scenario planning. But I'm here at Michigan State. I talk to my colleagues. We know about it, but we don't teach it. So people, so people didn't have the tools. It's like, you know. It, it's like when you have, you have electrician's toolkit, but then it's your water main that breaks.
0: Well, I think I understand what you're saying. The, the, years ago, I was, I was running a business at uh, uh, University of Southern Queensland, and a guy came yep. to see me, uh, it was around the SARS, about 2005, five, six, I don't know, yep. 2007, and this guy from the federal government turned up <laughs> and said, have you got a plan if we have to close down Toowoomba uh, for four or five months due to a SARS break? And I thought he was a nut. I thought he was a nutter. Why would anyone close down a city for the size of Toowoomba for an extended period? That just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but he wasn't, was he? Uh, how do you – you can't plan for that, I said. But maybe we need to start thinking about really strange scenarios. Part of, this, um, part of, part of the proposition is that we're dealing with digitalization, decarbonisation and disruption. So this is this, these disruptions.
1: And we see what scenario planning and what people understand about scenario planning is scenario planning is not the scenario. It's the developments that are driving it. Oh, the results. Right. Oh, I see. So what you're doing is you're saying, uh, for example, we're going to see we we have an intertwined economy, or we're going to see the fact that we use digital. We're now linked digitally. What could happen to us that could adversely affect us? And what you're doing is recognizing that there are developments which are taking place. And when combined, they give rise to potential situations. And what you're doing with these potential situations is you're understanding what the potential impact and how do you start to think about how you manage the system. When I was in Australia, one of the things I found interesting, Michigan, we have deer. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: right now, I can tell you right now, I was out bicycling yesterday and right in front of me jumped a deer. Who was Australia, more frightened? <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I'm on a bicycle. Let's put it this way. It hits me. I'm going to have it. great fun. Anyway, but uh, in Australia, you have Joey's. Think about the following scenario planning is your ability to develop plans so that when the Joey jumps out in front of you, you're not just simply reacting on gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't teach that. And so what's happening is. We're also we're also not dealing with some of the major issues. We have had 20 years where we've never had to really deal with supply chain management. We've had one up, one down. We mm-hmm. haven't dealt with relationships. We haven't uh, dealt with how we prevent distortion of messages in the supply chain. And yet we've known about them. The supply game, the telephone game has been well known. Yep. We haven't prioritized. So, What we're now being tasked to do is to build the supply chain. You know what the irony is? The things that we're being asked to do now are not just simply useful for the COVID. They're the things we need to do for sustainability, for cybersecurity, for visibility. Mm -hmm. So what you've got right now is um, we've been eating junk food, and now suddenly we've got to change our habits and do the right stuff.
0: It's all quinoa (laughs) Quinoa from now on. Uh, We we talked before about uh, supply chain. Oh, Before I go on, how does listeners, the people here listening in saying, gee, I need to get scenario planning into my my business. Where do they start the thinking of
1: that? Oh, okay. Um, uh, Clive, okay. There's a book called The Mind of the Fox. Uh, I'm trying to remember Usually know the guy's name, uh, Clive something. We'll put and, it into yeah,
0: we'll put it into the show notes. So yeah, it's called the the mind of the fox.
1: Right. It, it, this is someone from South Africa. I was introduced to him, to him by Colin Siftel when I was on the board of directors, and he it was the first person who really talked about scenario planning as a strategy. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that there is also available on Amazon or some of the book companies. There is typically the shell guide to scenario planning.
0: Yeah, yeah I've and seen that. The shell true.
1: guide and the shell guide is about it's a, a $0.5 American, so I would think it's going to be around 30-35 Australian. And it's a wire-bound book and it's kind of the bible. It's yeah, shell yeah. uses So for anyone who doesn't know
0: what scenario planning, planning scenario is, scenarios but shell sure, basically said we'll we'll break our management team up into 3 Three groups, one looks at the best case scenario for the next twelve months, the other one look at the average case scenario, and the the third one look at the worst case, and we'll or figure the- out what our what our plans are for each of those scenarios
1: or else what we can do is we can look at the following let's go and take a look what's happened with the Ukraine, et etc uh, One scenario would be that we're dealing with an environment in which inflation is going to keep on going, in which we're going to be expecting about th- let's say 8 to 15% inflation, we're going to see a lack of food and resource uh, fuel, oil, energy prices will keep going up. Uh, we can talk about another scenario where inflation gets um, controlled, but yet we have ongoing pressures from energy. So what you're doing is a scenario is a setting, it's a situation description. And what you're doing is you're saying those descriptions are a result of factors, of forces, so what you're doing with scenario planning is identifying the forces and seeing what they can what they can create and then saying, what does that mean for us? And it's basically a, a way of trying to figure out what can happen. So, for example, um, scenario planning may be looking at, well, for example, uh, looking at uh, with the COVID-19, how is this going to affect the small to medium-sized enterprise in Australia? Australia is very unique from the perspective that your economy is very dependent on your small to medium-sized enterprises. In the United States, 47% of all economic activity come from small to medium sizes. In Australia, it's more than that. In Australia, innovation, social change. Come from an employment, come from the small meme size. So you're gonna, you might want to look at what's going to happen. What are these developments going to do for the economic spark plug of Australia?
0: Yeah, we we could talk for hours, uh, and I yeah. am. It's a great conversation. Let's let's talk some more. I want to ask you two there are two issues before we finish. Sure. We, 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 you mentioned before, uh, and I mentioned in my intro that supply chain is both strategic and tactical. Let's just yeah. take tactical about for, for, for the last few minutes we've got together uh when we increase our um just in case inventory when we go from just in time to just in case that has an effect on on our cash flow it also cashflow. might it might also mean that we end up with excess stock that we have to get rid of which has an extra <laughs> effect on our, our on our, our cash flow what's the thinking on inventory now how do we manage inventory
1: Well, again, what you're really looking back is you're looking at... And, okay, a couple of things are occurring. Number one, people are asking the question, uh, is there any possibility for us to do postponement in inventory? That is, wait until the final moment to configure. Keep in mind that we're a long way
0: from the rest of the world. So when we buy stuff, we've got a delay and we've got massive freight costs as well.
1: So in in your case, I would say we're going to be... Here's the point. People look at... The direct cost of inventory. What companies are now recognizing, like Toyota has recognized, is that the indirect of not ha- cost of not having inventory can be significant. It can cause other production problems. For example, who thought that not having chips would have caused the inability of car companies to deliver products?
0: One billion dollars for Ford in one quarter. Um, unbelievable.
1: Yeah. unbelievable! Unbelievable! Yeah. And that so should the have been other. Yeah, but the problem is the reason it wasn't seen is because it was a small amount. What people, what Ford didn't realize is if you didn't have the inventory, it's not just that you didn't have the inventory, but it you needed the inventory to make the end product. So now you have a problem that Ford is responding in three ways to the chip shortage. It's got products which are sitting in yards because they can't be delivered because they're lacking certain chips. What they're also doing is they're shipping product to you, and they're saying, "Oh, by the way, bring it back in, and we'll put the, we'll put the functionality in later on." Or the third thing they're doing is saying, "Guess what? You know the functionality we promised you—it's not there. Tough luck, isn't life wonderful?" But the so uh, is-
0: we we don't—it is going to affect our cash flow, but we just yes. have to see it in a different business model approach.
1: Okay. And the reason being is we often look upon it in isolation. One of the things I'm surprised at that people haven't used to understand inventory is the strategic profit model. Right. Okay. The strategic profit model, otherwise known as the DuPont profit model has been around since the 1950s. And it it's I've seen it being used by participants where we had a, we were doing a course with Textron, and what happened was one person worked through the strategic profit model, and he figured out that by increasing inventory by ten percent, he improved the profitability of the company and the return on assets by twenty percent.
0: I had a, a colleague who uh, who explained the Dupont uh, the Dupont model to a group of chief executives, uh, and they had never heard of it. It was staggering.
1: Yeah, but see, that's because right now people are being taught analytical models for the most part. And analytical models are not bad, but there are some basic fundamental models which exist. And one of the things that would be really nice for someone in Australia to do is to develop a library of a basic toolkit that says, if you want to play in supply chain, you've got to know these concepts. And the concept, as I said, I I talked to colleagues from Australia who were doing supply chain, and they were talking about analytics. They were not talking about these issues. And one of the things people have to understand that's changing in supply chain is internally our audience has changed. Previously, we would talk to other supply chain managers. Yeah. Now we're we're now managing at the edges. What's that mean? We're talking to marketing people. We're talking to engineering. We're talking to finance. We're talking to suppliers. We're talking to customers. So we have to understand that issues when seen from an internal perspective become very different when you talk to marketing.
0: Yes, you still have to have procurement in your in your supply chain toolkit. You still have to have analytics in your toolkit, but you also have to understand impact the market's having and what happening your your multiple level supplier is having as you've said it exactly. is an end-to-end approach yes right. and designs too as yes, we move towards sustainability design and and packaging design also and product stewardship all of those things are kicking in
1: in fact that's why because often marketing people don't understand your capabilities hmm. in essence what you can or can't do and also, they often they interested. overestimate
0: too. Sometimes, well, Stephen.
1: <laughs> but that's because we haven't educated them. Supply so. chain people, supply chain managers. I'm seeing a, a new model of a supply chain manager. I'm seeing we're going from a supply chain manager to a leader, and the supply chain leader educates people around him or her. They talk about issues such as, "My gosh, if you accept that order, this is what's going to happen." I, we were. I was dealing. Yeah, uh,
0: that comes back to that whole thing about the toilet paper being in supply yeah, exactly. chain issue of not understanding the reliability of the chain, not not just the the fact that they're on the shelves. One more question before we go. Sure. Um, I was a I was a strong proponent of single source of supply. Build a relationship with your level down. Uh, make sure they have a relationship with level down, and build a strong supply chain based on your relationships. But it seems like now we need to have dual source
1: or more. What's the, yep. what's the thinking there? It's basically a risk management. It's here's the point. If okay, a couple of reasons it's occurred. A Couple of them came out of the pandemic. One of them came out of the pandemic was that some of these sole sources were located in other countries. A colleague of mine, uh, I'm on the, I sit on the National Defense Industry Association, uh, which is the equivalent of a prof- the professional society which deals with the Department of Defense, and. He, is, he used to be a professor at the University of Alabama Huntsville, but he's now the CEO of a ESOP, a Employees Stock Ownership Program Company. And one of the things, he was buying certain types of stainless steel rods from a German company. He was told a couple of weeks into the pandemic by another supplier, if you're buying rods from this guy, Change. Because there's indications that there's a strong demand in Germany, they're going to focus completely, uh, they're going to use their production completely for Germany. So what we're starting to find out is source source suppliers are good, but in an emergency, what we found out is priority shift. And for example, in India or in China, when the pandemic hit, when the COVID, they were using masks for their own purposes, not to export. Even though we were paying, the other reason too is we're starting to understand that things happen. Um, we're right now. We're, I'm working on some research dealing with suppliers. So, so would works. you
0: suggest that to uh, a dual source is the best way to go? Is or just do a, risk, source, do a risk assessment in each situation? Well,
1: dual source is really looking at the following issues. Number one, to what extent is the capability that you're dealing with unique? Because some cases you're buying a capability that no one else in the marketplace has. So in that case, you're forced to deal with source source. Mm -hmm. If you don't wanna deal with a sole source, you have to have an engineering solution in place. Again, that's the concept of managing at the edges. And that's why, for example, if you were doing scenario planning, you would have had backup plans, which would say, if this occurs, we have an alternative method of building the product, which enables us to get away from this capability.
0: I this brings us to the. Uh, sorry, go on.
1: Yep, sure. Uh, uh, then it also means we have to start thinking about issues such as um, how much are we buying? How important are they? Uh, how stable is the environment that they're in? Uh, and so, what you're starting to look at, in some cases, we're looking at dual sourcing as recognizing that things can happen which radically affect our ability to obtain supply.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is why one of the com- concerns I've had about Australia is you don't teach purchasing as the rest of the world sees it. You teach transaction management.
0: Yeah. And well, you don't, I district,
1: <laughs> you don't teach strategic sourcing. So anyway, those issues have to be looked at because every decision has to be looked at in terms of costs and gain in terms of risks and opportunities. Uh, it's a long, it's a, it's a Weasley answer to a very good question. But No, I think,
0: say- uh, I think it's been terrific. And, and uh, we'll wrap it up there. We could talk all day. In fact, you and I could, could talk for, uh, for weeks. I'm sure we covered a lot in this, in this episode. Yeah. And I'm really pleased about that because we started off by asking what is supply chain. And we really had a chance to, Explain and examine why it's so complex, why it went wrong in COVID, and what we need to do now. We have to look at the whole organisation, look at each situation yep. within our organisation, and build an overall plan. Uh, we talked about, uh, and I love your comments about uh, relationship suppliers, uh, also being a good buyer. We talked about. Um, I love this comment about uh, visibility is, is is not just understanding the data; it's actually understanding. What the situation is that was that was great insight um all about lean uh, we talked about the Dupont. <laughs> we we talked about the mind of the fox and how the audience keep changes and then we talked about some tactical issues as well thank you so much it's been a great conversation it was, it
1: was this was fun I, I i enjoy this and if you ever want me back on just simply give me a holler
0: i'll just come on over to michigan and we can go bike riding and watch the deer <laughs>
1: no we michigan we got grid beer <laughs> I we said got beer. Beer. beer, but we
0: got beer as well. Beer and beer. All right. Oh, no. Great chatting Take to care. you. Thank you, Professor.
1: Take care.